0: Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by founding pastor John Ferguson as we continue our series, Reasons. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All
1: right, how y'all doing today? Good, but it's great to be here. I don't know about you, but there's... I need this every week, okay, so I tend to show up every Sunday, <laughs> not just so I can be here, but because I need to be here with you, and uh, even when I'm not teaching, when I'm uh, sitting where you're sitting and celebrating, it's just so good to be able to come together and be reminded of who we are and who God is, and so thank you for being here uh, today. Uh, we're talking about miracles, if you didn't get the idea from that bumper video there, and I know when it comes to you know, this particular topic, there uh, tends to be a certain amount of skepticism. And often for good reason, all right? And so I just want to give you maybe even a few more reasons, all right? Here we go. Uh, anybody here willing to join the ranks of the interwebs, rational thinkers, and believing that this actually is right here, what you're going to see on the screen, the face of Jesus appearing on a sour cream and onion potato chip? Anybody? <laughs> what, you're, you don't? Okay, maybe not. Well, okay, then um, uh, who thinks the young lady who found the face of Jesus inside the lid of a jar of barbecue sauce tips the scales in favor of miracles? No, no, not so much. Okay, and if those don't convince you, then maybe this miracle right here will seal the deal for you. This one's my favorite. This is a funion in the form of Jesus and the Virgin Mary. You can't make this stuff up. And it actually was sold on eBay for $609. Oh yeah, painful. Right, exactly. Now, <laughs> these are pretty funny and quite outrageous. I'll give you that. But when you think of miracles, all right, when you think about miracles, what comes to mind? What comes to mind for you? Maybe you think of a televangelist with big hair, big hair and, and a bad suit and, and putting on what seems to be kind of a crazy show. Or maybe a few miracles are much more personal, because you are certain that you've witnessed one. You have experienced something that you know could have only been the result of divine intervention. Or maybe yet others, you've been praying for a miracle for months, maybe even years, and you doubt they're real, because you are still waiting. You know, we want community to be a safe place where we can honestly dialogue about the challenging aspects of our faith. And so today, we're discussing the question: How can a rational person believe miracles are true? How can a rational person believe miracles are true? And for our purposes today, we're going to define a miracle in this way: Okay, an extraordinary event, an extraordinary event involving divine intervention in human affairs. An extraordinary event involving divine intervention in human affairs. Something occurs because God himself made it happen directly, intentionally. All right, so do miracles happen? Well, you know, we've kind of found that answers to that question sort of tend to fall on a spectrum, if you will. And some say, well, they don't happen. They just don't happen at all. And these people could be called naturalists. And naturalists believe that the laws of science can explain just about everything that occurs. So that would be the naturalists. Others say they don't happen anymore. And people in this camp, they're called cessationists. And they believe that at one time God intervened in miraculous ways, but he doesn't do it that anymore. They're cessationists. And then there's a third group that we might call the uh, undecideds. You know, they're just not sure. Maybe they haven't really investigated this too deeply. Or, you know, they, they might want to believe or hope to believe in miracles, but they just can't quite get themselves to say, I believe. And so they would call themselves undecideds. And then of course there are the believers who say, yeah, I absolutely believe miracles. They happened in history and they continue to happen today. Now we do know this, okay, wherever you happen to fall on this spectrum, okay, of belief in miracles, the answer to the question of miracles absolutely requires faith. It's a matter of belief, not fact. You know, when one says God can do miracles, it's clearly a statement of faith, but it's also a conviction or a matter of faith to say that there is no such thing as miracles. That requires faith as well. It requires faith to say they are true, it also requires faith to say they are not true. Tim Keller, in his book, uh, The Reason for God, he writes this, and I like to quote Tim Keller because he's much, much smarter than I am. <laughs> he says, If there is a creator God, there is nothing illogical at all about the possibility of miracles. To be sure that miracles cannot occur, you would have to be sure beyond a doubt that God didn't exist. And believing that God doesn't exist is exactly that, a belief, an article of faith. The existence of God can be neither demonstrably proven nor disproven. And so the belief that miracles cannot happen is not a scientific statement. It's actually a philosophical statement. Make sense? And I think it's also worth noting that a remarkable number of credible practitioners in astronomy and astrophysics and genetics and biology believe in the God of miracles. They include Francis Collins, who heads up the Human Genome Project, Sir John Polkinghorne, a quantum physicist from Cambridge University, Sir Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, and many, many others. To think that science and miracles are at odds is simply not true. So, no matter where you might land on that spectrum of beliefs that we had up here just a few moments ago, know that your conclusion about miracles will be a faith decision. It'll be a faith decision. So, can God do miracles? Can God do miracles? Well, we want to tell you a story that comes right from our own community. Uh, Nate Braun is the Stuco Student Community Director at our Yorkville location. And his family recently went through something extraordinary, and we asked Nate to share his story. Uh, Here is Nate's story.
0: My name is Nate Braun. I serve as the student and adult ministry director at the Yorkville location, and we've been at community for a little over two and a half years. So it was the Thursday before Memorial Day. I had just left the house to go to a meeting, and my mom had called me to let me know that my dad had went into full cardiac arrest and was on his way to the hospital so while we're sitting there in the waiting room this large family and friends praying and it was in the middle of one of those prayers where the hope is just super high we believe dad's gonna walk out of this hospital room and The prayer is interrupted by the code alarms. We hear code blue, code blue. I can see through a crack someone just giving CPR on them with every amount of effort that they had. One of the doctors sees us watching and ushers us into a side room. And in that side room, she tells us that the situation is my dad is coded. There's no pulse for the last four minutes. This is what we're facing. Be prepared for some bad news is the way we were taking it. But there was still that sense of hope that something powerful was about to happen. We hugged and started praying again, and not even a minute later, the same doctor came back in and she said, if you're praying, it's working, keep it up. We just got his pulse back. Another doctor came in to talk to us, and he said, look, we have his pulse back. However, if and when he codes again today, we're not sure we can bring him back. So he said, if he survives today, it'll be a miracle. There's no medical help they can necessarily give him because of all he had been facing. So all we could do at that point was pray. And about the fourth day, he, he was breathing on his own. The feeding tube and breathing tube came out and he actually started to speak. And when he spoke, it was my dad that was speaking. And it was beautiful. For me, when I look at this situation, uh, it was it was clear evidence. I saw it firsthand, all that he went through that made me believe that this was a miracle. Everything that he was facing should have ended his life. But God kept it going, and there's no other way that I can explain it. The doctors can't even explain it. Paramedics, paramedics can't even explain it. The only thing that kept him going was God. I asked the question as well, why did my dad survive and and others don't? But I know that he did this so that the story could be told so that he can show the power that he has and the power of a community coming together to pray for him and, and to support him and support our family was a huge part in that. That showed the power that God has and that we all can believe in what he's capable of.
1: Wow. (laughs) I mean, is there a a natural explanation for uh, what happened to Nate's father uh, through the prayers of his family? Um, Maybe, but uh, it sure sounds unlikely, doesn't it? Uh, was, making, was was Nate making up that story? Well, you could choose to believe that he was, but to me this story sounds an awful lot like the work of Jesus that we read about in scripture. You know, Luke wrote one of the biographies of of Jesus' ministry, and Luke was a historian, but he was also a doctor, which I think kind of qualifies him to speak to this uh, topic of miracles. And uh, It's interesting because God gives us an interesting take on some of Jesus' miracles through the writings of Luke. And I want to read one story from Luke chapter 5, and you can follow along on the screen, okay? One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Now, let me just remind you that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were kind of the religious elite of that day. Jesus' popularity was starting to grow, and so they were a little bit intimidated by his rise in popularity, the notice that he was getting, these teachers of the law and the Pharisees had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord is with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Jesus. Now, apparently the house is so crowded that these four friends can't get their friend in there in conventional ways, like the front door. And so what do they do? They cut a hole in the roof. (laughs) You think you've had impolite house guests. (laughs) I've always wondered, what did the homeowner think? Oh my goodness, you're cutting a hole in my roof. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these four men, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks of blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they're not asking, who are you? They know who he is. They traveled from all sorts of places to see Jesus. They know who he is. What they're asking is, who do you think you are? <laughs> and Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, maybe you notice that Jesus actually performed two miracles in this story. Did you catch that? One that can be seen and one that can't be seen. The second miracle, the one that can be seen, is when Jesus restores wholeness to this man's broken body. The guy couldn't walk. Jesus does what he does, and now he can walk. But the second miracle, healing the man of his physical illness, proved that Jesus had just, in fact, performed the first one that nobody else could see or verify, and that was forgiving the man of his sins. I mean, with one word, Jesus erases decades of guilt and shame and restores this man to a right relationship with God. And Jesus' authority to heal the man's body was the same authority by which he forgave the man of his sins. Here is what is truly remarkable about this. Don't miss this. Jesus passed down to his closest followers the authority to perform miracles just like this. Jesus passed down to his closest followers the authority to perform miracles just like this. In Matthew's account of Jesus' ministry, he mentions a time when Jesus sends out the 12, his closest followers, and gives them the authority. You can read it right here. To heal the sick, raise the dead, to drive out evil spirits in his name. Jesus gave them the authority to do that. And guess what? They did. They do all the same incredible things that Jesus was doing. And then as he nears the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus reminds his followers, and he reminds us at the same time, I tell you, next slide, please. There we go. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And that's exactly what happens. God's power works through these first Christ followers in amazing ways. And it wasn't just the 12 disciples. I mean, throughout the book of Acts, which is a written history of the early church, we read about Christ followers performing miracles and healing the sick. I mean, Stephen is said to have performed great wonders, Philip healed a paralyzed man. Ananias gave sight to a blind man, but it didn't stop there. I feel like this is an (laughs) infomercial, but wait, there's more. Um, Other historians reference miracles as a sort of normative occurrence. Yeah, around 248 AD, the historian, Origen, wrote these words. We have a quote from him. He says this, not a few cures are brought about in the name of Jesus. Not a few, no, there apparently were many Certain other manifestations of no small significance have taken place. You see, these are not isolated events that can be easily dismissed. These stories of healings in the name of Jesus form a more or less kind of broken chain all the way up to today. And together they paint a crystal clear picture that not only God can do miracles, but that he wants to. And of all the cities in the world, the people of Chicago should know that God still works miracles. Do you remember what happened last October? My obligatory cub reference, thank you. (laughs) See, God wanted to do the miraculous 2,000 years ago. He wanted to in October and he wants to today. A friend of mine has a a daughter who's four years old and uh, it wasn't long ago, while back she started having night terrors She would have night terrors where she would just sort of randomly in the middle of the night just start screaming, no, 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 and and just thrashing her body, you know. And this would go on for like 15 or 20 minutes, multiple times every single night. And so they kind of sat her down and and tried to kind of talk her out of it, but their words just didn't seem to have any effect at all. And as you can imagine, I mean, it was terrible. It was was both frustrating, but it was also incredibly frightening and, and tiring. And these night terrors just continued to happen night after night for 16 straight nights. Until uh, on one evening, my friend, his wife, uh, was at her small group, and she was just tired and frustrated, you know, living more than two weeks on very little, if any, sleep at all. And so she shared what was happening with her small group, what was happening with her daughter. And in that moment, the small group just said, you know, let's just kind of gather around you and let's lay our hands on you, which is what scripture says you can do when you're praying for a miracle and ask God to just stop these night terrors. And so they did that. They prayed and asked God to remove... These terrors, and that night they stopped. Just stopped. And they've not happened since, not one time. Not only can God do miracles, He wants to do miracles. So let me ask you do you believe that? See, and here's why that question I think is so important for us today. There are times in Scripture where there seems to be a connection between faith and miracles. Yeah, there are times in Scripture when there seems to be a connection between faith and miracles. Go back to our story about the men who brought their friend to Jesus on the mat, lowered him through the roof. What does it say Jesus saw right before he healed the man? Do you remember that? I think we have it on the screen. What does it say? He saw what? Help me out. Whose faith? Yeah, their faith. It was the faith of his four friends that moved Jesus to action. It wasn't even the guy's own faith who was healed. It was the faith of the friends that led to his healing. Now, think about the implications of that. The idea that your faith or my faith or our faith could be the difference in someone being healed. Now, understand, okay, the miracle doesn't solely depend on you and me, but it is clear, isn't it, that God wants us actively involved right through our faith and it doesn't need to be a ton of faith either. Another example, a man asked that his son be healed from violent seizures. Maybe you're familiar with the story. And Jesus says this, he says, well, anything is possible for one who believes. And then the guy responds, and I love his response. He says, well, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? He heals his son. I mean, apparently when it comes to faith, like we heard in the bumper, it really does just require a mustard seed, like, you know, a little dabble, do ya. <laughs> but it also seems that a lack of faith can diminish the presence of miracles. In Mark's record of Jesus' life, we find Jesus returning to his hometown, okay? The place where people probably saw his diapers changed and his mom wiping his runny nose. And they just can't bring themselves to possibly think that this man that they saw grow up is the Messiah, And Mark says that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And so it says he found it difficult to perform miracles. And so I can't help but feel like there's sort of a warning that we need to heed here today, that somehow a lack of faith, especially when it's played out on a larger scale within a community of people, can actually put a damper on the miraculous power of God. But on the other hand, just a little bit of faith, and the man's son was healed and so it seems to be true today and among that among individuals and communities where there is a vibrant and growing faith we can expect to see and do in fact see all over the world an uptick in miracles now i want to pause here and acknowledge that i mean all of this is filled with so much mystery and I don't mean to suggest at all that there's any kind of one-to-one sort of correlation between faith and miracles. Like, just because you do believe, you will get your miracle. Or if you don't believe, you won't get your miracle. You won't see a miracle. I mean, I have someone you know, close to our family, actually in our family, and she's a man, a faith-filled woman, who's one of the most kind and generous and faithful people you could ever be around, yet for her entire adult life. She has just suffered from all sorts of illnesses, from scoliosis to Um, congestive heart failure to lupus. I mean, she's been in and out of hospitals most of her adult life. And I mean, we have prayed and prayed and prayed that God would do a miracle, but so far, no miracle as far as we can see. And I don't understand why. I mean, to me, if anybody deserves a miracle, she does. But for whatever reason, up to now, God has not chosen to respond the way I'm asking him, the way we're asking him to respond. Now, I'm not gonna stop believing he can and will. But my experience is that sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. And I rarely can understand why he does when he does or why he doesn't when he doesn't. But I guess that just requires some faith as well. And I also know that more than a few people in this room today likely carry deep, deep heartache because you haven't received your miracle, at least not yet. And the healing that you've prayed for hasn't happened the job maybe didn't materialize, the addiction still lingers, the relationship is still a mess, or maybe the one you've hoped and prayed for just simply still does not exist. And so, you know, with loads of faith, for months and years, you've prayed and pleaded for God to come through to no avail. And so I know that some of us have given up on expecting God to show up. You've... You know, to kind of decide to play it safe, to have realistic expectations, to protect yourself from any form of risk or heartbreak because the pain of disappointment is just too great and you'd rather play it safe than, you know, believing and looking like a fool. And I get that. But you know, if we believe that God is good and that suffering is not his dream for our world, and we talked about that last week, there will be situations where we in faith pray Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray for a miracle and God will break in. God will show up and respond to the cries of his children. Now, again, there is so much mystery in this, so much that it makes me very uncomfortable at times, if I could be perfectly honest with you. But here's what I know. You know, if we believe that God can do miracles and that he actually wants to, I think it's gonna change the way we pray. I think it'll change the way we pray. I think it'll change our expectations and we won't be as inclined to hedge our bets as we pray. You know, well, God, if you wanna do this, that'd be really great. But if you don't, well, that's fine too. Anybody confess to praying that prayer? Sure. I think we will also shift from a sort of generic, hey, you know, when talking to somebody, my thoughts and prayers are with you approach to one that's more expectant one that's more, you know, kind of direct and seeking God to do what only he can do. You know, it's kind of like the difference between me cold calling a stranger to ask for money, hoping that I might get a yes, but anticipating a no versus me calling up my dad, knowing based on a lifetime of history that there's not a chance he'll give me a penny. Wow, I'm, no. I mean, we have (laughs) a loving Heavenly Father who loves to help. And there's no guarantee. But at the end of the day, I'll know I can trust Him, whatever the outcome, because He's proven His love and care for me over and over and over and over again. We're gonna celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, and the ushers in just a few moments. And as I talk, they're gonna pass the bread and the cup. And as the bread and the cup are passed, I want you to just take the bread and hold it. I want you to take the cup and hold on to it as well. We'll receive these together. But you know, every week, communion is just a tangible reminder that God so loves us that we can trust him. Does it mean that we have to believe every single person who claims to have experienced a miracle? No. (laughs) Does it mean we can still be rational people and and believe in miracles? Absolutely, because our faith is in an all-loving, all-powerful God. And you know, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of the resurrection. I mean, think about that, that our Savior, you know, lived, died, and came back to life after being dead for three days. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. I mean, think about it. Our whole way of life, our entire reason for gathering, everything that we're about right here today and throughout the course of the week is all based on a miracle we call the resurrection. And the bread we eat represents His body being broken, and the juice we drink represents His blood that was shed on the cross. But they point us forward to the miracle of the resurrection. So here's what we're going to do: after we eat the bread and drink the juice, we're going to pray. And I can't help it; I'm going to ask you to do something a little extra. Might be a little uncomfortable, stretch us just a little bit. I'm going to ask you if you're if you're able, and if you're not, it's it's fine. But for some, I think this can be helpful. I'm gonna ask you if you'll get on your knees after we eat the bread and drink the juice. Not yet. And then we're gonna pray in three ways, okay? So I wanna give you a little heads up. Here's what this is gonna look like simple prayers, and I would ask that you would pray along with me. Pray that God would increase our faith. Pray that God would increase our faith. That He would help our unbelief. That He would help us to trust Him in deeper and deeper ways. Do you want that? Do you want that? I also want us to pray that God would break through in miraculous ways. And this is where I'm gonna give you just a few moments of quietness, sort of silence. And I want you in that moment to tell God where you need a miracle. Ask him to move, ask him to bring his miraculous power to whatever situation comes to mind. It's probably something that you've been thinking about for days, weeks, months, maybe even years. And then we're gonna pray that we would trust him no matter what happens. We're gonna pray that we would trust him no matter what happens, believing that we have a a loving father who wants the best for us, his children. We're gonna pray that God would increase our faith. We're gonna ask him to break through in miraculous ways and we're gonna pray that we would trust him no matter what, believing that we have a loving heavenly father who wants what's best for his children. hold that piece of bread in your hand. Hold that piece of bread in your hand and together let's celebrate the miracle of the resurrection as we eat the bread. And then together as you hold that cup remember it represents the blood of Christ but we're celebrating the miracle of the resurrection even as we drink this juice that represents the blood that he shed for you and for me together drink the cup alright now we're going to pray and uh, and if you're so inclined if you're able to do this and Will I'd ask you to get on your knees with me and this is just a way for us to kind of go to our Heavenly Father and say yeah I I, uh," maybe for you it's I believe, help me with my unbelief. <laughs> um, but I think he honors the, the prayers of his children. We know he does. When um, we get down on our knees, it's just our way of saying, hey, we're, we're unworthy. We're, we can't do anything outside of your power. And so we, we acknowledge that. So let's pray. Father God, we come to you as your children knowing you are a loving, heavenly father. You're a good, good father. We also believe in you, you, the God of miracles. And so this is, God, we know this is a tough topic, and, and there's all sorts of, of questions and maybe doubts and thoughts and, and wonderings, but God, we would just ask you to increase our faith, that you would help our unbelief, help us to trust you in deeper and deeper ways, whatever that looks like for us individually, whatever that looks like for us collectively as a community of faith. And God, we would boldly also pray that you would break through in miraculous ways, and Whatever that might be for you, I just wanna give you just a a brief moment just to go ahead and, and, and ask you to tell God, where do you need a miracle? Ask him to move. Ask him to bring his miraculous power to your situation, whatever that might be. Hear the prayers of your children. God, help us to trust you no matter what happens, believing and knowing that you are a loving Father who wants what's best for us, your children. We offer this up to you in the name of the one who loved us enough to come to earth, live.